Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Hello everyone, I'm Pastor John, senior pastor here at Stonebridge. How are y'all? Nice, that was good, I'm doing well, thank you. It's a nice robust response there. So, for the next three weeks, we're going to be doing the sermon portion of the service a, a little bit differently. Normally, I come up here, read a scripture passage. We tend to stay within that passage. I tell you a couple of words in Greek and Hebrew. Johnny from Boston heckles me at some point. And then we go home. And it's great, and we'll get back to that in about a month. But for the next three weeks, what's actually going to be guiding our sermons I'll be preaching this week, then Pastor Jonathan is preaching next week, and then I'll be preaching again in three weeks, two weeks, whatever. You know the order there. Um, it, what's going to be guiding us, though, is an updated version of the mission statement here of Stonebridge Community Church. For the last couple of years, the elders of Stonebridge have been meeting and working to take the mission statement that was here for a couple decades and update it, which is a good, healthy practice to do. Now, for those of you not familiar with the term mission statement or the phrase or the concept, a mission statement is a piece of writing that helps to guide an organization, helps to state its values, helps to state its goals, helps to clarify the purpose of that organization. It states what the mission is, mission statement. And it is a good and healthy practice for any organization to be reflecting on what the mission is that God has given us, especially for churches. What is it that God has called us to? What is it God is guiding us in? So for the last few decades, the mission statement of Stonebridge has been to reach the lost, to make disciples, and to send them out. And it's a good mission statement. But the last couple of years, the elders felt like there's ways in which we might be able to update this, to help clarify it, and to help it speak to who we are today as a congregation. So it took about two years. But in January, the elders approved this updated version of the mission statement to share the hope of Jesus, to deepen our community in faith, to extend God's love to others going to read it one more time, to share the hope of Jesus, to deepen our community in faith, and to extend God's love to others. After dialoguing, debating, praying, discerning, the elders felt like this is what God is calling us to. And I will admit something from the get-go. It's not as quick and snappy as the other one. But the elders chose clarity over snappiness. And there were some pens from Stonebridge that are important, that are now collector's items, that have the mission statement on them. It came up more than a few times of, can we fit this on a pen? And what we figured is, if it's a triangle pen, you can put one on each side of it, and there you're good to go. So yes, you can fit it on a pen, folks. But we also realized there's an easy way of summarizing this. Just the three simple words of hope, faith, love. And when we realized that, we realized we hadn't really made anything new or novel. In fact, the Apostle Paul summarizes Christian faith in that way. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 13, 13 to guide us. And we're going to be discussing this week the first section of this new mission statement. So in 13, 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, 
And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. And the greatest of these is love. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you have called us together, not just this morning, but at this point in all of our lives. You have brought us to this space and to this time that we can live our lives together, but that we can do so pursuing a mission that you've given us. So clarify that for us now. Help us to understand what it is you're calling us to as a community and help us to pursue that mission. Speak to us now through your scriptures, Lord. We thank you, and it's the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. So like I said, this week we're going to be focusing on the first part of it. Next week we'll be doing the second part, and then two weeks we'll be doing the, the third part. But originally the mission statement of Stonebridge began with to reach the lost, which is good. Part of what we are trying to do as Christians is come alongside God's work to reach those who are lost. It's not that that isn't something that we seek to do. But this whole conversation actually began because when I first saw the mission statement, I realized it raises a question that is left unanswered. And it's one that I don't think we can just assume the answer to in today's world. We want to reach the lost, but reach the lost with what? If you aren't a Christian, if you didn't grow up in church, then that would be lost to you. The language of reach the lost is foreign. What exactly does that mean? And it became apparent that that part of the mission statement in today's culture, it leaves what is likely the most important part of our mission, which is what it is we are trying to reach the lost with. So after debate and discernment, the elders felt like we're trying to reach the lost really with the hope of Jesus. And we're trying to share the hope of Jesus. That, I believe, is not just what we are called to, but what all Christians are called to. Christians are meant to be people of hope. Now, hope is defined as a feeling of desire or expectation for something to happen. We live with the expectation that God is going to restore this world, recreate this world. We live with the hope that that is going to take place, that that is going to happen. Sadly, though, if you ask people outside of the church buildings what Christians are known for, I don't think it's hope. Far too often today, Christians are known for anger, known for fighting, known for always waging some sort of battle. I don't think people think of us in general as hopeful. And it became clear that as the elders discussed this, we want to do what we can to change that. We obviously can't fix that, but here in this community, we can put hope front and center. We can make sure that everybody knows that we are people of hope, that we live in hope, and that sharing that hope truly is the most important thing in our lives, individually and collectively as a church. The goal here is that when anybody else in our community thinks of Stonebridge, they think of the hope of Jesus that we become defined by that. But the other piece of this is the hope we want to share isn't just a general vague hope. It's actually specific. And 
Another problem I think we have in our culture today is that everybody is so used to all of the Christian lingo, all of the church words, that we've lost sight of what exactly the content of the hope we have is. We've lost focus on that. It's the hope of Jesus, the hope that we have in Jesus, and also the hope that Jesus shared as he preached. That hope that Jesus proclaimed and that he then lived out and served as an example of, that's the hope we want to share. I think the Apostle Paul actually does a good job of summarizing what is the hope of Jesus. Paul is the first missionary. From the moment he was walking on the road to Damascus, where he was going to persecute Christians, and Jesus knocked him to the ground, from that moment on, he spent his life sharing this hope, doing whatever he could to help other people understand what the hope was that drove him, the hope that he had found. And in Romans 10.9, I think he summarizes it perfectly. This is, to me, the best summary of what this hope is. He doesn't use the word hope in this passage, but I think he summarizes the content of this hope. Paul says, If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's as good of a summary of Christian faith as I've been able to find. And I want to look at it closely here. There's two parts, and we're going to do it in reverse order. I want to look at that second part first. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. At the center of Christian faith is resurrection. You cannot talk about the message of the Bible without talking about resurrection. The belief that Jesus was raised from the dead, and because of that, we will be raised from the dead also. That is Christian faith. And when you realize that, when you really take the message of the New Testament in, I think you realize death is the enemy, and death has always been the enemy. As Christians, human beings are never our enemies. No matter how wrong you might think somebody is, no matter how evil you might think somebody is, as a Christian, they are never your enemy. Instead, they are always an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with, to let them know about resurrection, whoever they might be. Death is the enemy, not just physical death. Death in the sense of permanent loss, that grief that we experience, that sadness when we lose somebody or something that is dear to us. That is the expression of sin in this world that Jesus overcame in the cross and the resurrection. Death was the enemy and resurrection was the response and God's answer to it. So we as Christians, if you proclaim that you are a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you have been entrusted with this news of resurrection. And it is the most important thing for this world to hear. That's what everybody around us needs to understand, needs to know, needs to have offered to them. That hope of resurrection. Paul clarifies it so well. In a letter to the Corinthians, he says to death, death, where is your sting? With the hope that we have that death has been overcome, death loses its power over us. We can live our lives in hope 
that the people we've lost we will see again, that this broken world will be restored. That hope should drive us, it should define us, and it should be what we focus on sharing with this world. That's the first part there that I want to address with Romans 10.9. The second part, though, is where Paul says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. That's a really easy statement for us to say today. It's easy to walk around and say Jesus is Lord. In Paul's day, it was not easy. Because what is going on there is Paul and the early Christians, they took a common phrase and they changed it. If you were in Rome, in the Roman Empire, where the early church was beginning, you were expected to say that Caesar is Lord. The emperor is Lord. Caesar was lifted up as almost a god. And you were expected to give your allegiance to Caesar. You were expected to give your loyalty to Caesar. So when the early Christians would say as a confession, Jesus is Lord, it was a statement of where their loyalty actually lay. It was a statement of who actually captured their allegiance. And because of that, they didn't really care all that much if you were a Roman citizen or not. They didn't really care all that much what language you spoke. They didn't really care all that much what land you hailed from. All they cared about was, did you know that Jesus was raised from the dead and that because of that, we have hope? Anyone they came in contact with who embraced Jesus as Lord, as Messiah, was welcome there because that was their ultimate allegiance. It was not to the Roman Empire. It was to Jesus. And it marked them as different and it set them apart. So those two confessions the confession of the resurrection, the confession of Jesus as Lord, that to me defines Christian hope. And I believe that those two confessions need to be protected, that we have lost sight of them as Christians. Again, we get so used to the Christian lingo that we forget what the content of the actual hope is that we are proclaiming. And it's easy to get led astray. And I want to just get out ahead of something right now. I know that this is going to happen over the next year or so, what I'm about to say, because it happens regularly. You all are going to go home. Many of you are going to sit down and watch the news. You're going to get on your laptops. You're going to get on your computers. You're going to get on your phones. Emails are going to come across. You're going to get on social media. People are going to post things. And it's all going to be telling you that we have an election coming up. And that issue X in this election is the most important issue that our nation has ever faced. And that you have to tell everybody around you about issue X and put pressure on your pastors and your elders in your church to focus on issue X. And some of you are going to come up to me and you're going to say, why aren't we talking about issue X? Why isn't we, that being discussed in worship? And I want to say, first off, it is okay to do this. I'm not going to shame you or anything like that, but I want to save us both some time and just tell you my answer now. Always feel free to come to me if you have questions about that, but just know that my answer to you is going to be this. 
I don't agree that issue X, whatever it may be, is the most important issue for this world or our nation unless it is the resurrection of Jesus. If it is the resurrection of Jesus, then yes, it is the most important issue, but I guarantee you that's not what they're going to be talking about. The most important news this world could hear is that Jesus was raised from the dead, and because of that, they can have hope, and we are not going to lose sight of that over this next year, even though there's an election going on that I'm sure will be told over and over again is the most important thing ever. It's not. Jesus being raised from the dead, God overcoming death, that is what this world needs to hear. So feel free to come to me and discuss any issues you want, but just know that that is going to be the answer at the end of the day. And I would encourage you to reflect on that. And in those moments where something pops up on social media and you get wound up or your news channel that you like gets you really going and you start feeling angry and you start feeling like, I got to speak out. In that moment, pause and say, wait, is there actually a way for me to set this aside and to share the hope of Jesus and to actually let somebody know what is most important? Try to redirect that. The early Christians were far less concerned with who held power and how they wielded it than they were with letting people know that Jesus was raised from the dead and because of that, there was reason for hope. So sharing the hope of Jesus. I think that's the most important thing we can do and I think that's what God is calling us to. But there's a few other aspects of the hope of Jesus that I do want to address here that I want to help us understand. Paul helps to frame this also. In the letter to the Romans, in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, Paul writes this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now there's a lot in there, and I won't read that one again. <laughs> But what I want to focus on here, if you notice throughout this passage, as Paul is explaining this hope to the church in Rome, he focuses on all of creation. I think too often we can start to think that our faith is individual, that it's just about us being saved. But it's so much more than that. The hope of Jesus that Jesus proclaimed that the early Christians held to, it was about all of creation being restored. This entire world being restored. And not even just this entire world. They didn't know about this, but it's part of creation, so I'm going to include it. It was about the solar system being restored. It was about the galaxy being restored. It was about the universe being restored. Heck, it was about the multiverse, if you think that's a thing, being restored. Whatever it is God created, Jesus was healing it there on the cross. It's all-encompassing. This world that we live in is broken. It is fallen. There is heartache. There is sadness. There is grief. 
This world can be difficult at times, but it is a world that God has refused to give up on. And it's a world that we should refuse to give up on. And the human beings in our lives that can be difficult and frustrating and sad, those are people that God refused to give up on, and they are people we should refuse to give up on. This hope that we're talking about, it encompasses all of creation, caring for all of this world, valuing it. That's part of this hope. And it should focus us. It should drive us. And then finally here, talking about this hope, Paul goes on to say this in Romans 8, 24 through 25. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 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 It's meant to be part of our lives as Christians, being patient people, people who are willing to wait. I don't know how good we are at that, though, folks. And I get it. Well, sometimes I get it. Sometimes we're just being a little immature, and I include myself in that. Sometimes we look around at this world and we realize there are real problems. There are things that are important. They aren't as important as the resurrection of Jesus, but they are still important. And we can feel that impatience. We can feel that urgency. But what we have to remember is, as a church, God has not called us to fix the world. God has not called you to fix this world. And God sure as heck has not called any political parties to fix this world or any specific candidates to fix the problems in this world. And sometimes we can get this impatience, especially in this over-polarized, hyper-political culture that we live in right now. And we start thinking that whatever's on the political news, if it just played out the way we wanted it to, then this world would be fixed. We start thinking that if we just elect the right people, this world is going to be fixed. If our specific candidate can just get into office, this world is going to be fixed. But there is one thing and one thing alone that has fixed this world, that will fix this world, and that is Jesus being raised from the dead, God in human form overcoming death, that fixed the world. That is the only thing that will fix the world. And any time we start portraying anything else, especially a human being or a politician, as the one who's going to fix the world, that, my friends, is idolatry. Straight up idolatry. There is one thing that will fix the problems in this world. And that is God's work, God's efforts through Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. That's where our hope lies. We are people of hope, and it requires patience. Your life is not going to be perfect until the day Jesus returns. This world is not going to be perfect until the day Jesus returns. And just getting a few sets of policies enacted is not going to make this world perfect. Until the day Jesus returns, this world will be imperfect and we wait patiently for that day. That's the hope of Jesus. We are people of hope. We are meant to be people of hope. And my hope, the elders' hope, our prayer for this church is that that hope defines us, 
that whenever anybody comes into contact with us as a church, they understand that hope. It's not going to be flashy. It's not going to rely on fog machines and lasers or rhetoric that portrays us as the church that's going to fix every problem in the world. It's not going to be any of that. What it looks like is a bunch of people gathering weekly to worship together, to praise the God who raised Jesus from the dead together, to praise the God revealed in Jesus together. It looks like people coming together regularly to be discipled, to grow deeper in faith with one another, to challenge one another, to support one another. And it looks like people who have worshiped, who have been discipled, going out into the world, sometimes together, sometimes in their individual lives, and serving this community that God has placed us in with love, with patience, with endurance, with acceptance, putting our heads down and serving the people God puts in our lives so that they can see we have hope for something better. That's what it looks like. So may this hope define us. May sharing this hope drive us to grow deeper together, to extend God's love to others. May this hope be what defines our lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please pray with me. Lord, help us to be people of hope. Take this hope that we have, Lord, and let it define us. Let it be what pulls us together. Let it be what creates our community. Let it be the basis of all that brings us in common, Lord. And let us go out into this world and share that hope. Give us patience. Lord, we have hope that you will return. We have hope that you will be revealed in fullness. Give us patience until that day. Help us to not get distracted. Help us to not get caught up in the urgency of the moment. But help us to be patient relying on the hope we have in you. And let us share that hope. Lord, as we take our offering now, as we give back to you, use this offering so that that hope would be shared. Use this offering so that people will know of your work to save this world. Use this offering so that others would know who you are, would know of your love, and would know that you will return. Use this offering that your hope would spread. We thank you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. We'll continue our worship now with tithes and offerings. So I invite us to worship God by giving back, trusting that God will use this offering to share that hope.
Call me 